0: Let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we do need you. And we confess that. And we pray that, that you glorify yourself this time, that through the text that you would reveal our need for you. that as we come to You, that our realization of who You are would not only highlight the greatness of our sin, but much more so that it would highlight the greatness of Your grace. And guide us in this time. Let us hear from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When detectives are questioning a suspect, they are looking for two things. One, they want to know whether or not this person actually did it. And secondly, they want the confession. That's what they're ultimately going for, is the written confession that they can say, here is the blame. The blame falls on this person for this crime. And once the detective has a, has a credible confession, really much of their work is done. The primary concern of the detective is not, what did you learn from this? You know, they never tell the, the suspect, now you go sit in timeout and think about what you've done. All they want is the confession and the blame. They are looking for where to properly assign guilt now in the case of our sin we sometimes try to shift our guilt to someone else like adam and eve did remember adam said well god it's it's not my fault it's this woman you made and eve goes well it's it's not really my fault it's that serpent over there that serpent made me do it But like Adam and Eve, we know our sin is wrong. Even when we minimize our sin or try to minimize our sin, we know it's wrong. And uh, as Dave has pointed out the last two weeks, we we try to do that a lot. Dave's used this quote from John Owen the last couple weeks. that He he who has uh, slight thoughts of sin never had great thoughts of God. And so as we're going through Psalm 51, we want to elevate our thoughts of God. And how does this prayer of confession elevate our thoughts of God? A.W. Tozer said this, he's famously quoted for this, that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I heard it once said that that if we... the best way to see the vileness of of our sin is to deepen our understanding and love of God. That the closer we are to the Lord, the more in love we are with God, the more vile our sin will will become to us, and the more clearly we'll see our sin for what it is. And here we are at Psalm 51 with, with David's prayer of confession after his sin with Bathsheba and what he did to Uriah. We can't say that David just didn't love God enough, right? Our love of God doesn't always keep us from sin, but it helps us once we become aware of our sin to see how ugly it is. So it wasn't that David didn't love God enough and that's why he sinned. No, David sinned for other reasons. But David did take his sins seriously because of his love for God. This is the third week in this series. and A couple of weeks ago, Dave, in verses 1 and 2, said that the only place to go is God. That David came to the only one with authority and power to actually do something about his sin. He came to the only one who could do anything about it. Last week, in verses 3 to 4, Dave did a great job of, of showing us that the only thing to say is, I'm a sinner. And David confessed his willful sin before God. Too many times we treat our sin and the sin of others like we're the detective. And we, uh, we come to confession as though we're sitting across the table from a detective. That we're we're the uh, assailant of the crime, the Holy Spirit's the detective, and we sit down and we sweat out the interrogation, and finally we say, "All right, I did it," and we write out how we did it and maybe our motives, and we think, "Oh, glad that's over with," and we don't uh, take our confession to a Uh, contemplative place as David does in Psalm 51. And even when, we, when we're teaching the principle of confession to our kids, it's usually one word confession, right? Sorry. And, and when we have our kids do it, that's about the gusto that comes up. What do you need to say? Sorry. You know, it's like, and the moment I say sorry, then I can run and play again. And this sorry is a better word than please, because please may get me a chocolate chip, but sorry gets me off the hook. And so we teach them to say sorry, and we might, if it's really bad, say, now go and think about what you've done, and then we'll talk about it more. And so we hope to instill this contemplative spirit within our children and within ourselves, but but so often our confession of sin ends there. And I'm so thankful that David's confession of sin did not end there because then we would only have four verses to Psalm 51. And it wouldn't go any further than that. But David loves the Lord a great deal. And because of that, he doesn't simply say, God, I'm I'm sorry I did that, which is ultimately, too often, is, I'm sorry I got caught. Right? When we we make our confession like that of a detective, it's more, I'm sorry I got caught, than I'm sorry I did that. But David says, I'm sorry I did that. And then he goes on to reflect on his sin and the character and nature of God. And David goes on with his prayer, and today we're going to look at At the next uh, eight verses of his prayer, verses 5 to 12. And ultimately, what we have here is two declarations and a request. And David's first declaration is about who he is. He says, Here's who I am. This is his first declaration, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, before we look at what David is saying, it's important to look at what he's not saying. David is not saying, My mom and dad did a very bad thing, and here I am. He's not speaking against his parents, their marriage, or his birthday. David is speaking about himself as a person. In verses 3 and 4, David confesses his sin. He says, God, I've sinned against you. I've done what is evil in your sight. You're blameless in judging me, God. I am fully worthy of your judgment. So in verse 3 and 4, he says, I did a bad thing. In verse 5, however, he goes a little deeper. Here in verse 5, David doesn't just say, sin is what I've done and continue to do, but he says, sin is who I am. It's in my DNA from the earliest moment of my existence, I've been sinful. We just had up here, what, what will go down for some of us is one of the more memorable child dedications. I can only imagine... The panic in the sound booth when Madden got a hold of that microphone. Are these, John, are these waterproof or saliva-proof? <laughs> I mean, it got tested. It got tested. Madden has a lot to learn about being a Reesberg. He's going to have to learn family traditions. He's going to learn household rules. He has a lot to learn about what it means to have a grandpa named Norm. I wish Norm was here right now. He's, gonna have to, he's probably going to have to learn how to bowl and fish and some other things like that. He's going to have to learn how to make sure he gets the proper amount of food over a table with a lot of hungry mouths around it. Madden's never going to have to be taught how to sin. That's, he's going to come by that pretty naturally. He's never going to have to learn how to be mean to his brother and sister. These things come about naturally. David says here in verse 5, he's saying, I'm not just a sinner by choice. I'm a sinner by nature. This is who I am. I am a sinful person, inside and out. And then he makes his next declaration. And his next declaration is who God is. He says, here's who I am. I am a sinner, not just by choice, but by nature. And now he says, here's who God is. Verse 6. Behold, you, God, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David declares these two things about God. And the first is, is bad news for David, while the second offers hope. The first is he says, God, you delight in truth in the inward being. But what did David just say about his own inward being? He didn't call it truthful. No. He said, I'm sinful inside. God God delights when there's truth in the the innermost part of me. And that's not me. God delights in something different than who I am on my own. before I could have outward sin, that the world could see my heart was full of sin. David knows that the essence of his heart is in direct conflict with God's desire. But here's where the hope comes in. Because God doesn't just delight in truth in the inward being, but he teaches wisdom to that inward being. God teaches us. This is great news. God doesn't just say, oh, another one screwed up. Pass them off. Chuck had one chance. He had one job not to sin, and you blew it. That's not God's heart. God teaches us. He corrects us. Like a loving father, He disciplines us. And while all we can offer is our natural and willful disobedience to God, He's willing to teach us. For David, this came in the form of the law. God's teaching to David was Genesis through Deuteronomy. And then the history of the conquest of the land with Joshua. And and, and he he would have been hearing stories of what happened during the Judges. And he would have sat under Samuel. And then here at this moment, he was taught from a prophet named Nathan. And Nathan came and said, David, in your kingdom, this such and such happened. David said, oh, I'm going to put an end to that. Well, you're that guy, David. And David was willing to be taught by God's prophet. David's declaration is that God delights in truth and teaches wisdom to a sinful heart. Now, at risk of sounding too academic, I want you to see something here in verse 6. Your theology matters. What you believe about God matters a great deal. David's theology in verse 6, that God is a God who delights in truth and teaches wisdom, drives his prayer. Your theology is a major factor in how you approach God. Do you believe God is angry and distant? Then you're not going to be excited to go pray. Do you believe that God is just and forgiving? Do you believe that God is willing to separate your sin as far as the East is from the West because He accepts the sacrifice of Jesus and you don't have to be the one that's perfect? Do you believe that God is holy and so your sin matters? If David believed that God could just look the other way at sin and it was no big deal, we wouldn't have anything in place of Psalm 51. I did a wrong thing. No big deal. But David believes God is holy. And that sin is an affront to a holy God. And sin needs to be dealt with. David believed that we'll see next week that God didn't care as much about the blood of bulls as he did the broken heart of the sinner. And so that's what he brought to God, what God cared about. But his theology shapes his prayer. The depth of knowledge of, of David's own self in verse one to six, may have led to despair. But instead, it has enlarged David's prayer. This is because David didn't only know himself, he knew God. He knew that God delights in truth, that God is holy, and that God is a teacher. It's why he came to God in the first place. Verse 1 starts with, Have mercy on me, O God, because David knew God. He knew that God alone offers the only answer to sin. And it's in his knowledge of himself and of God out of these two declarative statements. In his knowledge of himself and God, David prays, For the only real solution to his sin. Verses 7 to 12. This is, I have sinned. Something needs to be done with this. Sham wow won't work, so I I go to the only one who can clean this mess up. Verse 7 Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit." Too many times we, when we talk about sin and the struggle of sin, it's all about how to combat sin. Here are three easy steps to not sin as much. Really? Easy things to not sin as much? It's like the worst infomercial ever. Did we not read verse 5? I can't will myself to sin less. And I look out at this congregation and I just see hard worker after hard worker after hard worker. You guys work very, very hard. You're very good at your jobs. There's no amount of effort you can do to become a less sinful person on your own. If if that was possible, David would be like, "Oh, I'm a sinful person," and the next verses would be, "So I need to remember Leviticus," and he'd start he he'd he'd go full blown awana on Leviticus. We can't outwork our sinfulness. If we try to outwork our sinfulness, we will only become more miserable. None of that will make us void of sin. We don't need a new program. We need a new heart. David realizes that. His only hope here is for God to do something inside of him, to change that inward being, that inward iniquity. So David asked God to give him his greatest need, which is our greatest need as well. And for these last six verses to categorize what David's praying for, I'm going to put it, I'm really going to put it in two categories, two descriptions of this need. And the first is our newness. David says in verse 7, Purge me with hyssop that I shall be clean. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, as you guys are making your grocery list and you're thinking, oh, my cleaning supplies are running. You know what? Bathroom's a real mess. I need more hyssop. And then I can get all those, I can scrub all those spots out. Why the hyssop? Why is David saying, Purge me with hyssop? That I will be clean. What a this is this is some big imagery that David is saying, take this branch and purge me with it. Rip out, get rid of the sinfulness with this branch of a tree. Well, what David is doing is he's going back to the law. The hyssop branch was something you burned along with the sacrifices for sin. And the the purge, there's so many times within the law, when it's talking about dealing with sin, it says, purge the sin from among you. Get rid of it. And it's this violent extraction of sin. Purge this from among you. And really what David's praying is here, is he's saying, God, make me clean on your terms. He's ascribing to the language of the law, and he's saying, God, I don't want to be clean on my terms. I don't want to be clean on the world's terms. There's people that are gonna be like, oh, David, you're a good king. Don't worry about it. Of course you didn't go to war. You know, you got that, you got that bad hip now. You know, I don't know what David had. Um, But he's saying, I don't want to be clean by the world's standards. I want to be clean by God's standards. He's saying, God, if you do this, if you you purge me with the hyssop, if you purge my sin from me with this branch, then I'm going to be whiter than snow. I'm going to have a level of purity that the world does not know, that the world is not capable of. And God, I need that level of purity that the world is not capable of. Throughout verses 1 to 5, David has been very upfront with his sin. And then in verse 9, he says, he says, hide your face from this sin and blot out all my iniquities. Two weeks ago, Dave gave us a very helpful definition of iniquity. It's waywardness, a deliberate choice to follow the wrong way. David here is saying, I've had iniquity from the moment I was brought into the world. From the moment I came into existence, I've had iniquity. And now he's asking, God, will you blot out my iniquity? All my waywardness, all my willful disobedience of you, God. Not will you take away the consequences of it, but will you completely remove that desire to walk away from you? I need newness. That's part of the old. I need this newness. Sometimes we confess our sin because we know it's wrong. And we give that, that child like, sorry. But we still like the way the sin feels. We still find gratification in the same things the world does. And we kind of hope, even while we're saying sorry, we kind of hope it'll happen again. Boy, that was really wrong, but I (laughs) wouldn't mind it if it it became part of my, my Tuesdays. David wants this desire to be blotted out, to be not only expunged from his record, but expunged from his desires. In David's confession and contemplation, he sees not uh, he sees his need not only to be honest with who he is and what he's done, but his need for God-brought change. If David doesn't receive this newness, this crying out of verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. If David doesn't see this newness that he's crying out for, he's worried this could all happen again. This is the difference between admission and repentance. Admission is I'm walking in the way of sin saying, oh, this is wrong, I'm so sorry, God, I'm so sorry. Help me from doing this. And we just keep going and going and going. Whereas repentance is, this is wrong, and we turn away and start walking away from our sin and walking with the Lord. Back about uh, 10, 15 years ago, there was an album that came out, Enter the Worship Circle. And they had a song on it called Put In Me. And the chorus said, put in me what I cannot buy with gold. Put in me, O God, come restore this broken soul. Put in me what I cannot give myself. Put in me a clean heart. David is asking God to do what only God can do. David is asking God for a heart that will desire God's goodness. More than momentary pleasure. And so here we come to the next to the next category of this request is David is asking for rightness. Not that he would stand as someone who's right, not that he'll be right in every argument. Um, but David, listen to these prayers as I as I string together these prayers for rightness. Let me. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. David's asking that he himself will be made right. He's saying, God, I'm screwed up. I am screwed up. In the garden, remember, Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent. Here here David is just blaming himself. God, this is all on me. I did all of this. David knows what we too often deny in our sin. That his spirit is not unified with God's. You know, David said, or, or Paul says, uh, we quote this a lot my spirit is willing, but my body is weak. And David's not denying that, but here in this confession, he's saying, my spirit is screwed up. This isn't just a flesh problem, this is a all of me problem. And God, I need you to fix this mess. I'm not right. David knows that the problem is with his soul. And he can feel it all the way to his bones. My bones. (laughs) Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Under the weight of his conviction, even before Nathan came, I think David knew something wasn't right. He stole the wife of one of his mighty men From when he was fleeing from Saul. And then he sent that mighty man who had fought by his side so faithfully and diligently to the front lines and had everyone but him retreat. He sold out this guy that had been with him since before the nation had crowned him king. And we feel this weight of conviction. And it feels like anxiety. We lose sleep. Our heart is racing. We can't quiet our mind. Sometimes in the stress, our bodies actually ache. And all we need to do is turn to God, but we're afraid if we turn to God, it, it will just mean more misery. And here, David is more afraid of not being unified with God than he is of confessing his sin. Let me say that again. David is more afraid of not being unified with God than he is of confessing his sin. There's these two great fears. One is admitting I'm wrong and dealing with the consequences, and the other is not being right with God. And for David, here in Psalm 51, the admitting I'm wrong fades away in comparison to not being right with God. I pray that God will use the weight and stress and misery to drive me to repentance when I'm not going there automatically. And I pray that for you too. That if there's unrepentant sin in your life that you're living in and walking in, that the Holy Spirit will just be all over you about that. So that we can't escape our sin. And that we can't be divided from our God. Because David also knew that he had to be made right with God. We have David asking God to hide his face from his sins and going back to the garden again. You think of Adam and Eve, and they sinned, and what did they do? They hid themselves from each other and from God, they jumped straight to hiding. And David is saying, he's saying, God, here I am. Here you are. Here's my sin between us. I'm not going to try and hide it from you. Will you hide the sin? God, will you take care of the sin? Because it's it's blocking us and I need to be right with you, God. God, and, and then he prays for this right spirit. In verse 10, renew a right spirit within me. He's saying, God, give me a spirit, make my spirit not one of iniquity that's walking away from you, but one that delights in your word, that delights in who you are, that delights in the same things you delight in. And he doesn't just pray for this right spirit, but at the end of 12, he says, God, will you uphold me with a willing spirit? God, will you have me be upheld by a spirit that desires to please you? David sees what we need to see. That our greatest need is not to get off the hook. Our greatest need is to be right with God. And he says, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. David knows why he was anointed to be king when he was anointed. Think back with me. Saul was king. He was the anointed king. And Saul lost that anointing. He sought out the counsel of a medium to bring out the ghost of Samuel. But long before that, He offered sacrifices to God on the altar when he had no place doing so because he was tired of waiting for the priest and he needed the sacrifice to rally the troops and he misused the worship of God. He misused his role as king and tried stepping into a role that he didn't belong in. And because of his pride, God removed his blessing from Saul. And told Samuel, Saul's not my king anymore. You're going to go to Jesse, Bethlehem, and you're going to anoint one of his sons. And so David was anointed king by God long before he became political king of Israel because Saul had lost his blessing. And evil spirits would torment Saul. David saw this. David had to play his harp in Saul's presence because of this. David's thinking back to Saul, saying, God, don't take your presence from me. And notice the difference of David's heart from Saul's. Saul was frustrated and angry, but he wasn't concerned about his heart before God. He was concerned about his political prowess and his military might. David isn't concerned with his military might or political prowess right now. He is concerned with his God. God, cast me not away. Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I need you, Lord. And David prayed for one more thing. Restore to me... The joy of your salvation. God, there is so much joy in walking with you, and I've been missing that. God, my joy of walking with you rightly is gone because of my sin, and I can't stand the agony of conviction of my sin. God, would you bring back the joy that I have when I walk with you, God? Bring back the joy I had as a shepherd when I would be on the hillside writing songs to you, God. Bring back the joy that I had when I got to dance in front of the ark as it was being brought back to the temple. Bring back the joy of the reckless abandon of just being before my God. If you want to be a miserable Christian, if you want to be completely miserable in your walk with the Lord, right now, stop repenting of your sin. If you think, oh boy, I I just, I love anguish and misery, stop repenting. If you want to have this joy, As as one of your pastors, as a friend, as a brother in Christ, someone who's a believer, and who walks in a way that is at times sinful, I I pray that the Holy Spirit will be on you in the full weight of conviction. Because what you need isn't to be happy. David's need in verse 12 isn't happiness, it's unity with God. And his joy isn't going to come from this being gone away from, his joy is going to come from walking with God. We were created to walk with God. Adam and Eve were created to walk with God. and All too often, at different times, we try to walk in a lie instead. And we, we exchange the joy of God's salvation for a momentary thrill of sin. We dehydrate ourselves of the living water that Jesus provides us. And maybe you're here and you're miserable in your faith. And could it be that part of the reason for that misery is because somewhere along the line you stopped repenting of your sin? Or you're repenting like a child does when they get caught with a begrudging, I'm sorry. Come to God. Ask Him to do only what He can do. And do so knowing that Jesus has offered Himself as a one-time sacrifice for all sin. That the penalty of your sin has already been paid. And paid in full. That Jesus was the propitiation for your sin. That He absorbed God's wrath. So you can bask in God's smile. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sin, that He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So would you repent? Ask God for the newness and the rightness that only He can supply. And get back to what you need most, walking with your Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this Word. We thank You that You're a good God who creates in us, that creates in us newness, that You forgive our sins, that You're faithful and just, We praise You that we're not on our own, but You are willing to teach us wisdom. We pray that as a good God, we would be children who quickly come to You. Because You supply the only thing we need. Amen.